Rockets again by six. Time running out on the New York Knicks. The Houston Rockets fall from 1993-94 NBA champions. This is It Happened One Year, a look back at the events big and small, famed and forgotten from 1994. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Hello. We're here to do it again. Here we are. Uh, it happened one year. Yep. I'm Joe. And I'm Sarah. We're trying to say our names more as to include this just in as a way that we're going to greet people. Yep. Yep. Like, I don't really tend to meet a lot of people for the first time anymore, yeah. especially not during the pandemic here in the apartment. But rarely is it, hello, I'm Joe. <laughs> well, I don't know if this is interesting, but an old boss of mine once gave me, because, you know, you meet people at, like conferences and networking events that are like, you kind of know and don't know. And have I met this person before? And he said what he did is he always greets people by just saying his first and last name and sticking his hand out. Oh. And I was, and he's like, it works. And I was like, I don't feel like I can do that. Like... Like, I, mean, I feel no, like I will be very awkward if I do that. I don't feel like I would remember anyone's name if the very first thing they say to me is their name. You know what I mean? Like, that's not like this is the first yeah. thing they said to me. And then I'm going to immediately be able to remember who yeah. that was. Because you're not teed up to retain it. Right. If it was yeah. like, hey, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. And like you have a second, you know, yep. and then your name, maybe. But no, no. Yeah. I, I mean, I think this is evidenced by anytime we've run into anyone in the building who we recognize this building or the last building we lived in. Yep. Um, never. And then I have no idea what anybody's name was. No. Yeah. No. I think I finally learned our main doormen. They are all yeah, men, but right. I think I finally learned them. Yeah. After a couple of years, finally got the doormen name yeah. down. Yeah. yeah. And even that was like part of emails about like yes. Christmas gifts and stuff. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to work that in. That seems yes. like a thing people are doing. Yeah. We need to take the opportunities as they come to learn their names. Ooh, and huh? there we have it. La segue. La segue. It's better than you just going, okay, let's now talk about the topic, please. <laughs> That's enough of all of these uh, these pleasantries. I'm working on my segues. Very good. Well, yes, learning uh, people's names, uh, taking the opportunity to do that, and that neatly pivots us into uh, this, this, which I think is a great uh, topic that we've somehow just slammed together. I do yeah. feel bad because the groups that we're putting together as these things, we have the uh, the uh, the main groups who seized the opportunity in 1994 as it came along yeah and those groups are the houston rockets of the national basketball association and the entire terrible republican party of 1994 yep so i'm gonna just apologize straight off to the houston rockets yes because it's a terrible <laughs> place to be no no disrespect to to you all rockets uh <laughs> lots of disrespect to you all republicans yeah so that's that's a shame. Uh, but these were two things we did want to talk about. And then when we realized as looking over all the topics that we had, that these two things neatly kind of fit together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're talking about groups of people who had an, a unique opportunity in 1994 and seized it to varying degrees of success. And we also discussed this. And I, I'm only going to really share this because I think it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. But if you know us at all, it should be kind of obvious that Sarah will be talking about the politics end of 1994 yep. 
and I'll be talking about the basketball end. And we'll just kind of see where we cross over with that. Yeah. But I do think the Republican story is a little more important and a little more yeah. interesting, probably in a wider sense. So yeah. we're going to we're going to start with the Houston Rockets. And so if you want to just jump ahead, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. There's a commercial just, somewhere in the middle of this. Just episode. to skip to the Republican yeah. Party if you want to, although you may enjoy and feel less rage about the Houston Rockets. Right. Um, who right. played basketball? OK, well, no, let's I'm, uh, let's, I'm let's, kidding. let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. Very good. So it, it might seem arbitrary at first that like, OK, yeah, the Houston Rockets managed to win their first NBA championship in 1994. So to just be like, oh, well, that's obviously them seizing their opportunity because it all you know, this was when it all came together for them. But very specific things had to happen for this to even take place. And that's what I think is so interesting. And those series of events all lined up for all of the teams in that playoffs and Houston is the only team that has actually had any sort of success. And I think this is really interesting, but it. it might just be me. So there was an opportunity in front of a number of teams. Right. And it was just Houston that was able to seize it. A unique opportunity. And the yeah. reason for that is because by 1994, you had all of the super teams of the 80s had more or less dissipated or had degraded in, ta in quality enough that they weren't still contending. 94 was the first time the Celtics and the Lakers missed the playoffs. The first time ever, because these were super teams forever, but especially after the 80s when they were winning all those championships. The, the Detroit team from the end of the 80s had aged enough and fallen apart enough that they weren't contending anymore. And then there's the Bulls. And this is the thing, is that I don't know how much casual people remember what these two years were like, because Michael Jordan retires the first time uh, in October of 1993. So it's right before the season starts, October 6th. The Bulls were still pretty good that season. They still made the playoffs. They still got to the second round. But without Jordan, they yeah. weren't really going to do well, anything. Who else did they have? They had Pippen. They still had Pippen. They still had Horace Grant. Like it was, they had just come off of winning three championships in a row, 91, 92, 93. So they're a dominant team, right? And the yeah. reasons Jordan retires are kind of varied. His father got killed. And then he quickly wanted to go play baseball. But that almost seems like it was an afterthought. It wasn't like he retired to necessarily play baseball. There's yeah. a lot that's been written about that. I don't even really want to talk about it that that much because maybe we will cover it at some point. His 94 year is very much him playing baseball, which is kind of interesting. But the idea still is if Jordan hadn't retired, odds are the Bulls are going to win again. Right. Yeah. And coming off of this three-peat, you know, you have to if you're the other teams in the league in the spring of 93, you're seeing the way the playoffs are going yet again. You've got to be thinking, like, how are we ever going to get out? How are we going to get around this? Right. Yeah. And then Jordan retires. And now all of a sudden the season's wide open. The Bulls aren't the favorite to do anything like now there's a chance. Right. And that's where everybody jumps in, filling the void, seizing the opportunity. Wonderful. I mean, like how many times in sports in general can one person retire and the entire league changes, right? Like, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty rare thing. I think when you have a player on championship teams retiring at the top and it making that kind of difference, mm -hmm. the, the only other one that immediately comes to mind was when John Elway retired. Oh, yeah. even though Elway's more or less at the end of his career at that point, they had the Broncos had won back to back Super Bowls when he retired. Yeah. So, you know, you can at least make a case if he had decided to come back. They're at least a contender. They're not maybe necessarily the slam dunk favorite. Yeah. But they weren't really the favorite. I, as I recall, the second year of their when they won the Super Bowl, like because, again, like they were they had a good defense. They were a good team. It's just they weren't a dominant team. They weren't yeah. the, the Jordan Bulls. Right. Yeah. 
And now through the sweep of history, you look back, by the time Jordan comes back at the end of the 95 season, so there wasn't really going to be a chance for the Bulls. The Bulls did, again, made the playoffs. They did okay, but yeah. they weren't going to then win that. But then they, immediately they win three more championships. Like, that's that's just what that was. Yeah. But if you wanted to win a championship, you're in the 90s, and you've been going through years of getting beaten up by the Bulls and the Celtics and the Lakers. This is now the prime time. And, and no one knows if Jordan's going to come back or not. But as I remember even then... I don't think any of us thought Jordan was never going to play basketball again. Yeah. You know, like he wasn't that old. Like he'd been in the league for eight, nine years at that point, but he's what, 30? Like there, there was no reason to think the greatest player of all time is just ne- going to go away and never come back. Yeah. So this is when you have to hit on this opportunity. And the way it worked out was that Houston won and they had Hakeem Olajuwon, who was the league MVP that year and then was the finals MVP. But what I think is interesting is the grand group of the other teams that made the playoffs. Now, there are teams who were in the playoffs in the first round that year who eventually have success, like the Spurs and the Warriors and the Heat, like teams who eventually down the road end up with championships. The Spurs sooner than the others, but nonetheless. But those were the teams who just made the first round. You look at the eight teams in the second round of the playoffs in 94. So you've got the Bulls. Uh, because yep. they were still pretty good. They swept Cleveland in the first round. Yep. And they get to the second round. And they will eventually, they'll win three championships in the next four years. Like they're, yeah. you know, but again, they need the greatest player of all time to come back to right. put that together. Still a pretty good team, but not like as dominant without Jordan. Right. They're still a capable team. Yep. And I remember even thinking again in 94 that like, they don't, they look good. Like they'll be able to, you know, do something. But they ran into the Knicks in the second round and the Knicks eventually would get to the finals and the Knicks were really trying to seize this opportunity. The Knicks are the great tragedy of 1994, (laughs) if you really want to make this case, because they still to this day haven't won a championship now since the early 70s. And they're a storied all-time franchise. And since 94, they've made the finals once in 1999 and they've only made the conference finals one other time in 2000 (laughs) so in the last 21 years they have not got they've only gotten past the first round of the playoffs once the Knicks so this was the Knicks chance and the Knicks were a really good team like for all of these years in the early 90s were a really good team it was just they're in the same conference as the Bulls so like they were just running into that buzzsaw over and over again and so you end up with Patrick Ewing, all-time great Hall of Famer, never wins yeah. a championship because of it. So the Knicks are the real tragedy of this whole thing. And again, Sorry, they get Nick. to game seven of the NBA Finals against the Rockets. They almost win, right? And then the Rockets win the following year. The Rockets win 94 and 95. So if you're saying seizing the opportunity, they're the only team that manages to do this. But outside of them, you also have the six other teams in the second round of the playoffs. And I'm just going to quick run through them because I just think it's amazing. Yeah. So you've got the Hawks. They get to the second round. The Hawks, since then, in the last 27 years, have made the conference finals twice. Uh, One of them was this year, 2021, and once Uh, was six years ago. They never have made the finals. Yikes. Uh, The Denver Nuggets were one of the final six teams. They've made the conference finals twice in the last 27 years and have never made the finals. Oh, no. One of those was last year. You've got the Phoenix Suns, who... When we started putting this episode together, uh, this basic idea, you could very much be like, oh, well, there's still, you know, nothing. Even though I believe by the time this airs, they will have won the the NBA championship this year. Probably. It sure looks that way as as we sit right now. Not to date when this episode is, but it looks like that's where this is headed. Yep. 
But in the past 27 years, they have not made the finals once. They made oh the finals God. in 93 against the Bulls and lost. And oh. since 94, have not made the finals. Yikes. They were in the conference finals a couple times. Um, the Indiana Pacers, who were great in the 90s, they made the finals once and they have not won a championship. They made the finals uh. in 2000. So that was 21 years ago. Oh, my God. They've not managed to do anything. And then what you couldn't have realized at the time was this would be probably the best chance the Utah Jazz would have, who had a great team in the time with with Carl Malone and with John Stockton. Yeah. They made the finals in 97 and 98. Oh, wow. Losing to, losing to the Bulls both times and have not been back since. So those are the other teams. That's the group of teams who all run into just horrible problems for from then forward. So even yeah. though they couldn't realize it at the time, on some level, everybody has to be operating under the idea. This is... This might be the only chance we yeah. have Classic where Michael game. Jordan isn't playing a full season in in this 20-year stretch. <laughs> what was it like to be anyone on any of those teams the day Jordan was like, yeah, I think I'm going to come back? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it must be like, have been no. awful. We were so close. Like, it must have been awful. Because, I mean, because uh, how could you know and then realize that, like, we're going to run into this and everybody's careers are aging. Everybody's, yep. like, just starting to play their way out. And, like, there's a bunch of legitimate, like, great all-time players, a couple of Hall of Famers who then never win a championship because they don't win a championship right here. Yeah. Like, the Pacers have Reggie Miller, uh, Ewing, Charles Barkley is with the Suns, uh, Kevin Johnson was with the Suns, who was also great, who then later became the uh, mayor of Sacramento. <laughs> um, Dikembe Mutombo was with the Nuggets. He never won a championship. And this is all because, I essentially, of this season. Yeah. And uh, it's just, I just think that's incredible. Like that this all lined up in such a way where not only do you have, you know, this window open yeah. because of Jordan, but also you have all of these other super teams who have existed for a while who then just are, are bad at this one time. Yeah. And there yeah, seems yeah. to be something to that in the NBA where like you end up with all time great teams who keep coming back and being good. Like yeah, this the Lakers is when... have had series and series of being good teams. Yeah, this is when new dynasties emerge, right? It's right. when old dynasties start to like age out, and then you've got a new kind of set of teams that is is coming through, but none of them made it. Yeah, and like it's just odd, I think, the way that the NBA is set up that way because one player can change the whole game so much that this is kind of what you run into. And so very quickly after this, the Spurs are a great team. The Lakers are great again, you know, and then on into the, like the Heat and the Warriors yeah. and on into the modern day. I think right. the other thing that I like about this is there wasn't even an opportunity for two teams to seize their opportunity. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame because like. I really think the Knicks, if the Knicks had gotten back to the finals in 95, maybe that would have done it. Maybe they would have they realized where they were because Jordan came back mm -hmm. for like essentially for the last couple months in the playoffs. And but then by that point, Orlando, the early uh, Shaquille O'Neal Orlando team was really good. So they got to the finals and got plastered by the Rockets. <laughs> so it just didn't work out like it was just a shame but yeah uh, I just I do I, I I didn't even realize really how narrow the opportunity was in 94 when we started doing 1994 like I yeah. knew that was a pretty interesting finals and you know the Rockets had never won a championship the Knicks hadn't won in a long time and the fact that this is the way this played out yeah but until I really took a look at all of those teams and how things have gone in the last three decades you're like oh this, yeah, this was this is tough. So. Well, I would say to the Rockets, like, nice job not throwing away your shot. The rest of you, y'all missed it. You missed the opportunity. You just did. You did not seize. Seize less, I would yeah. say. Seize less the opportunity. A couple <laughs> of them made the finals. A couple of them gave it a shot. But uh, uh, 
Couldn't really play out. Not enough. No. Uh, that playoffs, I think, is another random interesting fact. Uh, the last Bulls game at the Chicago Stadium was in that playoffs. Oh. Uh, was in their series against the Knicks, the uh, game six, which uh, they won, but then they lost game seven to the Knicks in New York. Didn't they basically build a new stadium for Jordan? And he was like, I'm going to retire. Yeah, basically. I mean, so like that was in the process. So when they opened the United Center in the fall of 94, Jordan's not on the team. (laughs) So so, so I think the first event at the United Center was a a wrestling event, like SummerSlam. (laughs) Maybe we should do SummerSlam 94 at some point. I think it was the first big event. (laughs) Yeah. 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 But yeah, essentially they built that thing, which I I think it was the biggest indoor stadium in the country for a long time. It might still be. I don't actually know, but. Right here in Chicago, right here in the big town. The Bulls also played the last game at the Cavs original stadium. The Richfield Coliseum was also that playoffs. Nice. So both of those stadiums were gone uh, thanks to the Scotty Pippen-led Chicago Bulls. (laughs) Great job, guys. Uh, Um, They did their best. Yeah. But yeah, that I mean, that's basically it. Like, there's some interesting other little tidbits with that season. But like, I don't think we're ever going to go back and cover the regular season for the NBA in uh, 93, 94. And then we're never going to cover the first couple months of the 94 season. No. So I think we can uh, put a stamp on the uh, basketball part of the podcast. Yeah. Here this season. Yeah. Which is probably good because it's not much of a joint podcast. (laughs) I have very little to say about basketball other than it's fun to watch. I don't really. Yeah, I think that's enough. I feel like I'm just (laughs) monologuing, monologuing things that I find interesting about this. Well, I hope you're ready to turn the tables and let me monologue some things I find interesting after the break. Well, I'm going to I'm going to get a cocktail and wind up for that. (laughs) Get ready. Let's do it. We're here because we are taking the first steps and we're taking them in a contract with the American people. We've already told the incumbents and the candidates that if we have a majority, if the American people accept this contract, that they can expect to work five days a week in January, six days a week in February and March, and 24 hours a day around the clock towards the end if necessary. But we are going to get to the final recorded votes in the first 100 days on every item. When we when we first started doing this podcast, Joe was like, try not to be too like political or like don't make your beliefs known. But within two episodes, I was all, I was already like Republicans suck. So I think uh, we've recognized that that was an unreasonable role to set. I don't think I realized what the reach of the podcast would be. Yeah. <laughs> Where I was concerned that maybe we would turn people off. But uh, I think we've managed to turn people off just through our own yeah. personalities. <laughs> it wasn't my political stances. It was the podcast that turned it was, people off. It was the breadth of the podcast and how this is very unfocused. <laughs> Uh, All right. So, but I will give credit where credit's due and talk about being able to seize an opportunity. And I'm not sure like there's a better or more effective seizing of an opportunity than what the Republicans did in 1994. So let me kind of set the stage. And I'm just going to caveat this with like, I consider myself a pretty active I engage a lot with politics. I know, I think pretty well what's going on today. Uh, In 1994, I was again, 10 or 11. So I I don't remember any of this happening real time. So I just want to say like, I'm going to get some of these details wrong, but I think I've got it mostly down. So listeners, if there's stuff that I don't get quite right, you don't have to tell us, like you don't have to write in about it. You don't have to worry. They won't. (laughs) Damn it. 1994 midterms, 
Bill Clinton has been president for two years. He ran as this like new Democrat. And in the first two years of his first term, he does some progressive things by the standards of 1994. He puts in a tax hike to fund other things in the government, which we uh, Democrats like. Um, He uh, puts in the assault weapons ban, which if I could bring back, I would. And he put in the, I don't, I don't don't know if it was an executive action or what, but allowing gays in the military, which is a very 1994 way to say that as well. Um, Not exactly the best policy, but I guess better than not. I don't know. It was a step in the right direction, I suppose. And so these types of things and Clinton in general enraged the Republicans. So, and they are such power hungry folks over on the right um, that they thought they needed to do something about it to try and win the 1994 elections. And, uh, They did. They sure seized that opportunity. So basically, this was led by Newt Gingrich. He put together what they call the they called the contract uh, with America. Clinton cleverly called it the contract on America. Oh, a mobster style (laughs) At at a high level. It was aimed at pushing small government pushing government reform because people really just like hated the government and really thought there was a lot of corruption. Um, And it was aimed a lot at the middle class. And it was basically a political stunt that they put together. They said, you know, here's eight reforms and 10 bills that we're going to put into place if you elect us. So it did a couple things. One, it like, I think different from the Republican Party of today, really, really clear about what the policies were that they supported. They had a rule when they wrote the contract for America that it could only be policies that polled at 60 percent. So you wouldn't see things like abortion in there. And they felt that the Democrats were really out of touch with the common man. Was that really where this went? Well, I mean, I think they kind of picked and chose their policies that were conservative policies, but there are always some conservative and some progressive policies that pull well. And so they picked only the conservative policies that pull well. But then what they did is they communicated it really clearly. And they took all of these like Senate, House, uh, gubernatorial elections and just nationalized it. Got everyone on the same page, everyone saying the same things. If you give us a majority, here's what we're going to do. And this is what you can expect. It came, it was written by Newt Gingrich, but a lot of it came from Reagan. And it was like his 1985, I think was inaugural address. Would that make sense for 85? It would, right? Yeah. 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 So yeah, it was like 60% of the language or something was like right from that speech. Um, But also had the fingerprints of the Heritage Foundation all over it as well, who uh, are terrible. But I thought I'd talk a little bit about what was actually in it, because one of the things they tried to do and the way that they and so by putting this together in a way that was nationalized and very practical and understandable to the American people, they had like unbelievable success in the 1994 midterms. I'm going to talk about that in a second, but let me kind of walk through some of the things that were in the contract for America. So there were eight government reforms, essentially, that they put into place. I won't won't walk through all of them. But it's basically like like how Congress works was most of it. It was things like cutting the number of committees and cutting uh, the staff to committees. They literally hire an outside firm to do an audit of Congress was in there. This is um, something that the average person was interested in. <laughs> apparently, like I think it was anything that felt practical and and reasonable, but also felt like we're going to root out corruption in government. Right. Even and- if it's it's like draining the swamp. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. Uh, maybe Americans were smarter back then because they mm. would actually pay attention to this. But yeah, and things like that, committee chair term limits, like real boring 
congressional stuff, but they committed to it. And but the bulk of the contract uh, with America was 10 bills that they said they would pass. They ended up kind of putting some of them together in packages. I'm not going to go through all of them again, but there were things like an anti-crime bill, um, requiring a balanced budget, cutting the social safety net pretty significantly. There was a child tax credit that they proposed, which is really interesting now because you would have expected that to be a Democratic policy. But that was part of it because it was targeted again at the middle class. Cutting U.S. payments to uh, the U.N., which feels very America first and Trumpian. Yeah. There was like limiting punitive damages that companies can pay out when they're in a product liability lawsuit. Like, sure. Yeah. So like <laughs> typical Republican really stuff. targeted at the middle class with that one. Um, yeah. Not so much. Um, but there was a whole package to incentivize small businesses. And then they did try to put in term limits for Congress, which did not pass it really wasn't that successful legislatively, which is interesting. Like the package they put together was very nice. There were like three main legislative accomplishments, but like they did an analysis in 2000 of the contract with America and there were 95 programs across all of the legislation that they had promised to to cut or eliminate. And all of those programs collectively had a bigger budget in 2000 than they did in 1994. (laughs) So whoops, uh, that didn't really work out. Um, So it was was kind of mixed in its implementation. They did end up, uh, spoiler alert, they did really well. I think I've said that. But they did end up getting kind of three main things through. One was they redid telecommunication regulations. So like trying to decrease barriers to entry for companies wanting to compete in um, like basically Internet. We hadn't redone that since the 30s. So they did that. Great. They passed the Defense of Marriage Act, so really important stuff. Way to go, guys, which basically limited access to same-sex marriage um, and allowed states to refuse to grant same-sex marriage. So nice job, Republicans. And then a big package that cut the social safety net. Things like not letting mothers under 18 be on welfare. Like, you're a teen mother. You probably need welfare more than an adult mother. But no, no, you're not allowed because you're 18. And they called it ugh, so gross. The personal responsibility and work opportunity package. Oh, my God. And that was that was also like limits to unemployment uh, benefits, like all the kind of social safety net stuff that Republicans hate, like caught a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the package. That's the contract. That's the promise. So they um, ran. they ran with the, all of that. But those are the only things that eventually get put in. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of it that either got didn't get passed in Congress, like didn't even get through Congress, even with the majorities, and then some stuff that Clinton vetoed. But there were some ways that the contract for America was very successful. And the key way that it was successful is it was the main driver in the absolute slaughter of the Democrats in the 1994 midterms. Like, yikes. Because, again, Um, the Democrats had held Congress for a long time, right? Since like 1953, they had held Congress. Um, And so this is again, 1994. Yeah. So they released the contract for America about six weeks before the midterm. There was this whole thing after the midterms where they like got on the steps of the Capitol and like signed it as a group. It's just really gross political stuff. But yeah, let me run through some of the some of the victories that they had. If you look at the Senate, uh, they flipped eight seats mm. so that the the Republican majority after the midterms was 52 to 48. And then two Democratic senators were just like, F- this, I'm going to be a Republican. And they joined the majority. 
So that's uh, not great. I didn't know that was a thing you could do. You don't see a lot of that these days. But it's uh, amazing, though, like over time where you've seen that happen. I'm just like, what if you lived in that state? Like, how yeah. would you feel about that? How could that person possibly continue to get elected after that? So if you're in bad. either party. Like, yeah, totally. I mean, certainly now in like our climate today, that sure. would be unacceptable. I think the last flipping we saw was was like Republicans flipping to independence because of Trump. Yeah. And not wanting to like. Yeah. Trump but so, even that, I don't think was a, was in the Senate. I think that was in, maybe in the House. Right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You, you I don't think it's senator is such an important job now yes. that yes. I think that would be like just. But wasn't it like Joe Lieberman was a he ran as the Democratic vice president, but then didn't he become a Republican or at least an independent in the subsequent years? Didn't yeah, he? I think so. He was always like a flip vote, I think, yeah. in the Obama years. Yeah, I don't remember when he left the Senate, but I don't remember either. Um. Mm-hmm. But, but like yeah. that just strikes me as crazy. Like if you were like right now, right? If we're here voting and like Tammy Duckworth is a solid Democrat, if she were to come out and say she's a Republican, I think she would get no votes. I don't think either oh. side would vote for her. No. Like the Democrats no, certainly no. wouldn't. But would the Republicans even trust that? Like it's crazy no. that that's an actual strategy. Like yeah, 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 not a thing anymore. Okay, so the House flipped the in the House the Republicans flipped fifty four seats, which was a six point eight percent swing in the majority. And the Speaker of the House, who was Tom Foley at the time, um, lost his race, like actually lost his his election in his district. And that was the first time that it happened since since the Civil War, since 1863. Which I just I just think is remarkable. Like, that's how bad the, the Democrats lost. He's the leader of the party in the House, third in line for the presidency. And they're like, not only do we not want him to be the speaker, we don't even want him in in the House. So uh, sayonara. Ooh. Um, And then the other thing that is interesting, and this is where it goes to the point that like the contract for America, even though like the whole eight reforms were basically all about Congress, there was one about the budget and how the how you pass tax cuts and how you pass budgets. But like most of it was just straight, like how Congress works. The Republicans flipped 10 governorships, which really matter because they they also took control of and I I don't know exactly how many, but they took control of state legislatures across the country as well. So like it wasn't just a House and Senate. It was like it was voting for Republicans up and down the ballot. And so the contract for America just seemed to like elevate the nation's view of the Republican party and their policy. So Um, was this really just marketing? Like I know that Clinton wasn't super popular and I only really have like, you know, my limited 14 year old memory of this, but I don't remember him being really well regarded after he got elected president and part of his like presidential election was because perot split the bush vote and the assumption is that bush probably would have won without that so was this really just like like trump and make america great again like it really was just a marketing thing and somehow it caught on and that's where things went or was it really the national consciousness had changed that much in that short a period of time yeah, based on there are a few things based on what I so first of all, Clinton's favorability rate, rating in 1993 alone fluctuated from 36 percent, which is crazy low in mid 1993 to 64 percent in late 1993 within oh. a year, within six months. So Clinton is in early 1994 with a pretty high favorability rating. But I do think there was some backlash to the progressive policies that he was enacting. Like, I do think that was a real thing. There were certainly people who didn't like Clinton. But I, the way that I read it is some of this was really just about they were talking about practically implementing changes that spoke to Americans' concerns about government. 
because they said through the the Reagan election and the Reagan years, even going back to Carter's election, like corruption in government, government overspending, government overreach was really something that the country was concerned about. Now, Clinton obviously was a, a Democrat and, you know, Democrats even then, like it has not changed that we believe you can leverage government for the good of the people. And so he he believed that. I mean, he was pretty left and progressive for the time when he was elected. But it's this idea that like we understand the types of things that you want to see in, in government. And we're going to tell you if you give us a majority, we're going to give you those things. Like it was the polling and the practicality in addition to the context and everything that was happening. But it wasn't just that people hated Clinton at the time. I mean, it just seems crazy because it's such a nuts and bolts kind of wonky idea that like well we're just going to curb government spending sort of but also just like how we're going to reconfigure congress that anybody would care about like can you imagine them trying to come out and and pushing that now and having like the average republican voter care about any of that like that just seems so ludicrous yeah and and in this era where it's like republicans are constantly being slammed for just giving tax cuts to their buddies and that's basically all you hear about yeah that at some point this was this idea that like they were helping the common man by I don't know, dismantling parts of the government. Like if anybody yeah. cares about that. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I was thinking about the legacy of this. So let's, I mean, I've, I've told you the story, but let's start with you. Like, what do you think, like, how do you connect this to today's Republican party? I mean, it just seems like this kicked off that kind of run. In some ways it was kind of a lucky run for the Republicans, just the way that history works out. But, you know, Clinton, the rest of Clinton's white house, is kind of mired in scandal. I don't know how much he really gets done. The fact that he gets reelected was really the big success of the whole later part of the Clinton thing. Mm -hmm. And then, and then I suppose elevating Hillary as much as it does to the, I mean, besides the end stuff, like for a good while, Hillary's a solid politician, right? Yep. But otherwise it's really just that like, I, I, the way it seems to me, this was when the Republicans managed to start really distracting the American people from what they were doing. Like Reagan was different because Reagan was such a personality yeah. that as much as people like to kind of now rosily remember Reaganomics and all of that, they overlook how much it seemed to destroy the middle class and then just go yeah. downward from there. But by doubling down on that only a few years after Reagan, when now your president is is Bill Clinton, yeah. who's seen as kind of slimy, no matter what he's doing politically. Uh, this was like this return to values or whatever. And they managed to ride that crazy, you know, line of 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 horseshit for for decades now. Yeah. In spite of all the evidence the rest of us have. So that's what really the 94 elections mean as far to me, like the fact that they still managed to lose in 96 maybe says more about just the power of, of Clinton's acumen, like, cause he was so smart and, and so politically savvy, but could not manage to pull the democratic party up with him and yeah. can't manage to get Al Gore elected in 2000, Yep. which I mean, maybe you can make the case that's because of the impeachment and, and because Gore is just not very dynamic, Yeah. but you would still think that, if his sort of personality was so strong to get reelected in this time where the Democrats were really down, yeah. it was really kind of remarkable, you know? Yeah. They say that the, the articles I was reading were talking about the contract for America and how this like moment, we, when we talk about seizing the opportunity, what the Republicans actually did here is kind of seize it, get power and then lose it because they, because they went after Clinton in the way that they did like yeah. the impeachment. I mean, by the time Clinton, 
1999, his approval rating is 73%. Like it's yeah. ridiculous after his impeachment. So the impeachment right. bolsters him more so than than hurts him, really. Yeah. Um, because, because everybody I, saw it as being so politically motivated. Of course, yeah. especially coming off of this, the way that the Republicans got elected, which was by saying like, we know what you care about and we're going to go do those things. And then they did, I mean, they did some of them, but like there's a lot that they didn't get done in the contract for America. And they focused so much on Clinton and and the scandals that were clearly not like ridiculous that I think they really squandered them that opportunity. What I think is most interesting about this is the Republican party today's Republican party just grips so hard to power almost by doing the opposite of what the contract from America was designed to do. Right. Think about Obama. It was all obstruction. Just slow it down, slow it down, slow it down. That's what they're doing with Biden too. Like just do everything we can to slow it down and like tell lies to try and get people to vote for us. Like it's, I mean, I think a Republican party with the contract for America is a Republican party that I can understand and work with. The Republican party of today is not that. And so I, I do think because it was so practical and backed by polling, they, succeeded in pushing Clinton to the to the right like they they pushed him damn near the center in his you know he did a state of the union right after the midterms where in which he said the words the era of big government is over <laughs> we yeah. had a democratic president for two years yeah. and they were like it's it it's done we're not doing this anymore yeah. um because of the contract for America yeah and so it's just interesting how the party ha- has maintained power um, not consistently or completely but like has, has remained stayed relevant really. yeah stayed relevant and competitive yeah. starting with this huge turning point yeah. but then shifting their tactics into first like psychotic patriotism and warmongering after exactly. 9-11 and then now just like conspiracy theories and lies like right. it's just it's crazy how far they've gone from 94 to what you see in the republican party today well that's the thing that's what I, was, I was thinking as this as we're going along this is this idea that you know, as much as Reagan is always pointed back to as this great Republican figure, and I've never, you know, I, there's there's very little to point back to about Reagan that's really all that great. Again, yeah. he had this, he made everybody feel great about being American and patriotic and such. Yeah. That's about it. I mean, otherwise, it's a, it, economically, it's a disaster, right? So you come off of that, and then 94, and then in very short order, you have 9-11. That's the entire Republican platform. and yeah. And politically, all of the things that were you know, law-wise that's going to actually help people or whatever, that's all kind of jettisoned because all that really matters is culture stuff and the war, and yeah. that's it. And this then goes on forever. This goes on for ever since. So, yeah. and to your point, like, it's the same idea that, like, now the Republican Party is so thin that all it tends to really manage to grip to is culture stuff Yeah, and, you know, patriotism. And then they have to start just coming up with fringe internet beliefs. And that's basically what the whole, the whole thing runs on. And somehow they still manage to stick around, but like, you have to feel like generationally, like this has got to be thinning out. Right. So that's why there's so much like fighting for like voter laws and minute little things, things that seem like it would be a benefit to everybody, no matter what the party is, but they realize they have to focus on these small, crazy segments to manage to stay moving to stay alive and it's how they set up the system where as the country changes not that i think one of the things that we've learned is that demographic shift does not automatically mean more votes for the democratic party just because there are demographics that really do like tend to vote republican that aren't just white men and white women 
And I think we as the Democratic Party tend to think of demographics as monoliths and that's a problem. And right. That's how we need to continue to evolve. But what the Republican Party is doing is saying we know we are they're just going to have fewer voters as time goes on. So they're what they're trying to do is just change the system enough to still be able to win elections, like put in laws that say, you know, if the legislature, which is Republican, thinks there's fraud in an election, they can just overturn it regardless of the vote count. Like that's those are literally laws they're trying to put in right now and are succeeding in putting in right now. And that the Supreme Court just said they could put in like the Supreme Court just supported that like last week. And so it is a huge swing from a Republican Party that did seem to actually try to, again, like address and communicate to the American people about what they wanted from their government and how the Republican Party would deliver it to fix the system and tell people that the best thing that they can do is own the libs and fight critical race theory. Like, it's so freaking crazy. Like, I, I can't even... And, like, climate change isn't real and don't get a vaccine. Like, it's so... I don't even understand how that is a strategy, but it works, yeah. which means I, you know... I'm not thinking critically enough about it, I guess. Well, you know, I mean, it's this Fox News strategy. It really is just kind of shouty politics and, and you know, whatever is just marginally more popular in their base, they're going to back no matter how wild it seems to be. And and then it's this distrust of science, distrust of the government, and then that constant instilling of how evil Democrats are. Yeah. And somehow that has managed to work because Fox News is propaganda. But, yeah, you know, but I mean, in the long sweep of things, it, things tend to work out, right? Isn't that that's what the saying is? So yeah. you know, maybe it's not all terror and gloom, but yeah. it's an odd, it's definitely an odd trend in politics that yeah. you know would need some sort of switch. So if we don't destroy the planet first, um, oh, planet planet. Just to say, we're sitting here having this conversation. I'm literally wearing an RBG T-shirt and an Elizabeth Warren sweatshirt, like at the same time. You've you've had a couple a uh, couple of tough years. It's been a, <laughs> been a stretch of time. So would you say? To try to pull all this together. Yes. Was Newt Gingrich the Akeem Olajuwon of the GOP? <laughs> I mean, definitely. Newt the dream Gingrich. Was that uh, was that really a thing? Seized the opportunity. He sure did. Did his he best. He sure did. Yeah. yeah. And then um, I guess that would leave Bob Dole maybe as Charles Barkley. It's a hard, <laughs> it's hard to make the, to line everybody up. I think it is. Uh, Who is Clinton in all this? Jordan, right? <laughs> he kept he won no matter what. <laughs> so, you know, everything could be against him. Jordan's going to come back, put down the baseball bat, win some more championships. You know, that's true. And then Hillary, I guess, is Steve Kerr. I don't know. It's it's. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to process all of this together. I can so, I can get behind that. Yeah, Al Gore is like an assistant coach. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. You know, He's just shouting about climate change in the corner. Yeah, but well, he's it's just him with like the Gatorade bucket, just ready to dump it on <laughs> on uh, Clinton's head. You know, I believe that's how the '96 election went. How uh, yeah. that that night? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that's that's the seizing the opportunity groups. Unfortunately, together, the I don't know individually the Houston Rockets uh, politics. I don't know if Rudy Tomjanovich was a Republican. I mean, they're in Texas. I guess it's possible, but it's Houston, so yeah, that's on the edge. You know. Yeah. Oh, what I what I did forget to point out, speaking of Texas, is that one of the states that flipped the governorship in Texas from Democrat to Republican is Texas. And, you know, who became governor, future evil dictator of the United States, George W. Bush. I do want there is going to be a future episode where we talk about where all of the future presidents were in 94. Yeah. And it's an odd group because uh, if you if you if you remove Biden from it because he was just in the Senate. 
Yep. You've got Obama was a, I believe, just a lawyer here in Chicago. You have George W. Bush, who had just come from owning the Texas Rangers to now being the governor of Texas. Yep. And Donald Trump, who has just some amazing interviews he gave in 94, just <laughs> classic Trump style interviews. Just yes. just wonderful. So someday we're going to do that episode. Oh, I, I'm excited. I want to get into that. But yeah, technically, the downfall of, of all of our lives for the last three decades started in 94 with the election of George W. Bush. Yes. And if you don't agree with that, honestly, you're not really looking at America. <laughs> So, Might we invite you to read some books? Maybe reality would help because uh, we are still fighting in Afghanistan as of right now. <laughs> so we're just about done, though. We're like, just about. I know Biden's yeah. pulling everybody out, but I, yeah. I honestly didn't realize we still had troops there. That's yeah, and that's how little you hear about Afghanistan. Yep, the epic twenty-year war that we've been oh, fighting. That unbelievable, we've unbelievable yeah. stuff. Never forget. Not great. Yeah. Not great. Real bad. George W. Bush, not a great guy. Not. But you know not what? Good. We're going to save that for future times. George oh, had literally nothing to do with the contract. He had no idea what the contract with America was. No, I no. will guarantee he no. was coked up to the gills and had no <laughs> clue what was happening. But he benefited from it. Like the oh, sure. you can connect the, all the state, all the, the gubernatorial races that flipped like from, you know, Republican rosy eye glasses or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So screw you, Newt. You did oh, it. My. Oh, my goodness. Sorry. Oh. That guy did it. Was that Didn't too far? Newt Gingrich used to write books. I feel like he wrote like historical yeah. fiction oh <laughs> like, i know he wrote poli- everybody wrote political books but oh, i feel I like newt gingrich used to write like and i'm gonna I get this wrong but i want to oh, say oh. when i was like a kid he had like political like historical fiction books about world war ii oh maybe i was wondering if you were confusing him with bill o'reilly who definitely does that oh that's more recent but when i was yeah. a kid yeah bill o'reilly writes like killing lincoln and killing yeah, yeah. kennedy and but i want to say when i was a kid newt gingrich had a book out that was literally just called like 1943 and it was some World War II novel. And like, I just, this is a kind of side thing he does. Like who's, isn't, who's the Democrat who writes romance novels? Oh, Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams. Like this is just a side gig these yeah. people have. Just like, well, oh yeah, I'm banging okay. out romance novels. She did that even before she was like a famous politician. She's done that for years. Why not? But, but I think, but this is a trend too. Like remember Clinton wrote not one, but two like political thrillers with a ghost writer with james Patterson. Writer, yeah, yeah. that's how we saw him that time yeah exactly yeah. um yeah. but did you also know that hillary is now doing the same thing but uh, she writes children's books right well yeah but she's writing a political thriller Ugh. with louise penny louise penny i think okay. her co-writer um yeah we don't we don't need that no we do not no. no these are this is not a trend that i enjoy no i do have the uh the aoc comic book though the one where she's dressed as Wonder Woman. I have a copy of that. One, but she so. didn't write that, right? Someone no, but like it. I can buy that. Like, yeah, you know, that's, like there's the, the comic book of Barack Obama shaking hands with Spider-Man. I want to say like that's something <laughs> I can get behind, but not like, you know, I don't want to see Nancy Pelosi's writing you know, mystery novels about, I don't know, politicians in San Francisco. That sounds terrible. Like, yeah, let's let's end this trend as soon as we can. <laughs> That, honestly, Newt Gingrich might have kicked that off. I have no idea. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what happens when people don't get elected and they don't have anything to do with their time. <laughs> Just time on their hands and they're smart. So, like, I got it. <laughs> Pelosi's <laughs> going to be in the house until she dies. Like, that's true. I, I, we don't have I don't to worry think... about that. No. But uh, I suppose Josh Hawley might want to start taking some creative writing classes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think his days in the Senate are coming to an end soon. Oh, God. Fingers I crossed. Sh- I hope so. Yeah. I mean, and Matt Gates. a lot of people have written great books in prison. So... <laughs> I'm just saying, Don Quixote, totally written in prison. So have, have fun down there. Ah, uh, man. Anyway, did you see how tall Baron Trump is? You know what? Let's take this off. Let's take this <laughs> offline. 
That kid's six saw, seven. I think he's gonna play for the Rockets someday. I saw people. <laughs> there's the connection. I there, saw people tweeting together. out about Baron the other day, and I but I didn't know what it was about. Oh, you should find a picture. Everyone listening, I, I oh god, you're gonna ruin your Google search history. But Google Baron Trump, and I swear to God, that kid is like six foot seven. Like no lie, he's huge, <laughs> and I think he's a basketball fan. So like, there's a chance like he plays for Villanova. He'll get drafted by you know the Pacers. It'll be incredible. Oh my god. And then we're living in the Baron Trump NBA era. Uh, could happen. I have a real hard time with that. I'm sure Baron's a nice kid. I don't, I don't believe in, you know, when they're young and unable to make their own decisions. I don't believe in like criticizing political children. But. I think you get over six too. You're open for criticism. <laughs> no matter how old you are. Like it's like, it's like an age or a height thing. That's it. <laughs> it's like being on a roller coaster. Like welcome uh, to the roller coaster kid. So, uh. You must be this tall for someone to create a fake Baron Trump Twitter account and tweet a lot of uh, really offensive things. That's got to exist already, right? There's got to be, yeah. you know, uh, Baron Trump's sure. bedroom. It's just yeah. like, you know, <laughs> yeah. him just like tweeting about pizza parlors and yeah, you know, yeah, owning the libs. Does he think Baron Trump cares? He doesn't care. I mean, I can't imagine if you're Baron Trump, you enjoy any of this. No, you can't, right? Because, yeah. I mean, you got to see what your kind of half-siblings have gone through, uh, yeah. even the real vocal ones. Like, Eric Trump is the world's biggest doofus. <laughs> like, that's that's not a good position <laughs> yeah. to be in. And I, I don't know Baron at all, but, like, if you're that tall, is he really spending a lot of time studying? He's probably out back shooting hoops. I, <laughs> I've seen that kid hoop it up. I He's love- really lit. <laughs> I- all right, I think this. I think, I think we got I think off track. think we're done? Yeah, yeah. I, think we, I think we ran this aground. Baron Trump took us aground as the Trumps are are wont to do. Ruined everything. They never add anything good to the conversation. But I want to remember this in case five years from now, Baron Trump's playing for the Atlanta Hawks. I just, (laughs) we already talked about it. I already called it. He's getting drafted third. No one's drafting (laughs) Trump first. Get out of here. No matter how good he is. Uh, All right. Well, well, thanks everyone for uh, seizing the opportunity to listen to this podcast. Way to go. Yes. I can't think of anybody else who sees the opportunity. I think that's it in 94. No, nobody else had any opportunity. These two groups and that's it. Nobody else did anything. Nope. Well, good job, suckers. (laughs) Uh, I can't think of I can't even think of a fun outro. I think you need to do the outro. Oh, uh, what's the let's let's take a basketball related. uh, uh, Boom shakalaka. I don't know what that means. It was like from like NBA Jam. Oh, was that in 94? No idea. This has been It Happened One Year. You know it'd be great. Give us a rating. Give us a follow. We're everywhere. It'd be great. See ya. Does Baron Trump have a future in the NBA? With the third pick in the 2026 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Baron Trump from UCLA.